we've been looked at as the authority and the ones with all of the answers since the dawn of education. We don't like to be wrong, but really our best hope for preparing students for tomorrow by looking through our tomorrow glasses is by taking some imperfect steps, coming up with some imperfect answers to that question of what is the future going to look like, and then just course correcting and adjusting as we go. But if all we do is just continue to look at our classrooms and our lessons and the way that we teach through our today glasses, we're preparing students for their own past instead of the future. So I really think that our best hope for preparing students for a future that will include AI in it is to look through our tomorrow glasses and take some imperfect steps and try to come up with some imperfect answers. The Digital to Learn podcast is dedicated to exploring both what's new and what's good in the use of technology in teaching and learning. Our mission is to have the best minds sitting in front of our microphones, sharing evidence-based strategies for digital teaching and learning. Digital to Learn is brought to you by the Center for Learning and Innovation at Indiana Wesleyan University. Thank you for joining us. And now, the Digital to Learn podcast. Welcome to the Digital to Learn podcast. I'm Tiffany Snyder, and I'm here with my co-host, Brad Garner. Hey, Brad. Hi, Tiffany. Hey. And today, we're welcoming a new guest, Matt Miller. He's the author of six books, but one of which is AI for Educators. Matt Miller has taught in public schools for more than 10 years, teaching all levels of high school Spanish. In his career, he planned nearly 12,000 class lessons, taught more than half a million instructional minutes, and graded work for nearly 2,000 days of class. His blog, Ditch That Textbook, and six books have equipped and inspired tens of thousands of educators in more than 100 countries. His most recent book, AI for Educators, focuses on the benefits and challenges of AI technology. He lives in West Central Indiana and says he's living the dream, happily married with three kids, three dogs, and a mortgage. Please join us in welcoming Matt Miller to the Digital to Learn podcast. Welcome, Matt. Yeah, thanks, Tiffany. Excited to be here. We have ordered as an institution at Indiana Wesleyan University, I think put in three different orders, large orders for your book and are already using and applying the content there. And it's going to be great to unpack it even further on the podcast today. But in kind of just looking at the back cover, I think we noticed that you're also from Indiana. Is that true? Yeah, it is. I actually live right in between Lafayette and Terre Haute, right near Turkey Run State Park in Little Bitty Park County. So it's uh, pretty quiet and serene and life's pretty slow out here in Park County, but we like it that way. <laughs> yeah, we know a little bit about you just from where you live, but we've got some additional questions in store in our getting to know you section. So Brad, you want to kick us off? Sure. Our first question, Matt, is... What item do you hope will be obsolete in 20 years? Oh, goodness. What do I hope will be obsolete in 20 years? <laughs> um, that's a, yeah, that's a, that's a great question. I don't know. What would be great if it was obsolete in 20? I'll, I'll just, I'll go with this as my answer. I hope that the cell phone is obsolete in 20 years. Cause I'm, I'm thinking that we should be able to do a lot of these things without a big bulky brick that you have to carry around in your pocket all the time. I keep seeing all of this stuff about how some of it'll be integrated into glasses or maybe into like little headphones or I don't know, something like that. So we'll go with that as my answer for today. 
I'm sick of dropping mine. I'll tell you that. So it'd be nice to not be bummed that there's a new scratch. <laughs> yeah. No more busted screens. Uh-huh. All right. The weirdest thing you wanted to be when you grew up. The weirdest thing. Okay. When I was really little, the trash truck, the one that comes and picks up your trash out of your trash cans and everything would come by. And I thought that was the coolest thing when I was just a little bit older than a toddler. And so I would run out there with my own little trash can out of my bedroom that probably had like two little Kleenexes in it. And the guy would shake it into the truck and I was just like enamored. And so when I was little, I thought it would be the coolest thing to be the guy that rides on the back of the trash truck. <laughs> yeah. I'm sure there's still days, if, if we're being honest, in our roles in education where we feel like, I don't know, that job may be yeah. the job for me. Yeah, you don't have to think too much and you get to be outside a lot. Outside. Some days that's pretty yeah. appealing. Yep. Okay, next one. What's your most po unpopular food opinion? <laughs> oh, gosh. My most unpopular food opinion. I'm a little bit of a coffee snob, if we can count drink in with food. And so my most unpopular opinion when it comes to that is that Starbucks coffee is really not that good. And when I say really not that good, I'm being very kind. <laughs> I'm not a fan of Starbucks coffee at all. What's not good about it? Oh, gosh. To <laughs> me, it's just that they it's very over roasted. If you drink it as coffee and not as an espresso shot and a latte, it's just it tastes like an ashtray to me. <laughs> it's just burnt and everything. And I'm, I'm not a big fan of that personally. But why don't hey, you tell us how you really feel? Yeah, yeah, right, yeah. You <laughs> made everybody mad, Matt. Let's no, I'm just kidding. <laughs> yeah, well, it was supposed uh, to be unpopular, right? <laughs> that's right. And I love the honesty. There's so if you were to go out and buy some coffee beans today, what would you buy? Oh, man, I'd probably try to find some sort of little independent coffee shop and I'd probably go for a light roast. I, my mm -hmm. tendency towards light roast is a, it's probably the reason why Starbucks and I don't get along very well. Yeah. <laughs> okay, your favorite generative AI tool and how you use it. Oh, goodness. I'm going to be boring on this one and say that it's probably yeah. chat GPT just because there's there's so much that you can do with it. And a lot of the things that I do in my work in education have to do with text. And since it's a you know large language model that, that deals in text, uh, chat GPT is probably it as far as summarizing things and getting explanations of it and, and all of that. Although I would say that a good close second might be some of the image generators out there. Like um, I've just started dabbling in mid journey, which makes incredible images. It takes, it's a little bit of a learning curve. It takes some getting used to, but once you can, my goodness, you can make some amazing stuff. So that those are probably my answers. So when you say generate images, what, what does that mean? Oh, with some of these image generator tools like mid journey, all you do is you just type in text what you want the image to look like and what style and what mood and what type of art and everything. You just tell it with text and then it will create these images. It usually does them in batches of four. So it gives you four examples of what it thinks you're looking for. And then if you like what it gives you, you can just download one of those images and use it. Or if you don't like it, then you can always follow up and adjust your prompt and then it can give you something different. It's really incredible what some of these image generators will make. Amazing. Amazing.
So you know why we're here, Matt. We want to continue this conversation about AI. And uh, we say that, and yet AI is taking up a lot of space in conversations right now, more so than I ever remember in my lifetime. Could you define for us, though, what is meant by generative AI as opposed to other types of artificial intelligence that we've been hearing about for years? Yeah, absolutely. Generative AI. It's a term that some of us haven't heard a ton of, but if you haven't heard of this term generative AI, you to probably start preparing yourself to hear it more and more because it's a it's going to be a pretty common one. Generative AI is a class of artificial intelligence that makes things for you, hence the word generate in the middle of generative. And so it will make, it'll create text. That's the chat GPT and the Bard and the Bing and all of those large language models will make text for you. The image generators I just talked about will create images. There's um, generative AI that will make video, that will create code. So all of these things, just the, the way that we ask and the artificial intelligence is learning about what we're looking for by having lots and lots of examples. And so it trains on those examples and tries to make its best percentage guess of what we're asking for. Now, generative AI is a different class of artificial intelligence than some of the other things that we've seen around. For instance, if you've ever noticed that the same people show up in your social media feeds all the time, that algorithm is, is, is powered by AI. If you've ever had face unlock on your smartphone, or if you've ever used autocomplete or auto reply, all of those things also run off of artificial intelligence. Uh, but a lot of the tools that have gotten super popular over the last, what, nine months or so are probably the generative AI pieces. So that's the difference that even Netflix and Amazon run off of a version of AI when they create recommendations for you based on what you've bought. But generative AI is, is this whole class of artificial intelligence that will make things for you. And I think that's probably why it's become so disruptive is because whenever it creates things, it's saving us time from having to spend the time creating it ourselves. And so I think that's why it's been such a disruptive technology. So Matt, do you happen to know what AI's favorite music is? <laughs> What's AI's favorite music? I don't know, Brad, what is it? Algorithms. Oh my goodness. <laughs> he disappointed himself earlier by not having that joke ready when we uh, opened the show, but I was just looking for the perfect place to drop. I was gonna say, mm -hmm. Yeah, you do not disappoint. <laughs> yeah. Timing was good, Brad. It looks like you practiced it. So congratulations <laughs> on that. Oh my goodness. In your book, AI for Educators, you distinguish between what it means to look at AI through today's and tomorrow's glasses. Tell us about that. Uh, yes. It's one of my favorite things to talk about when it comes to all of this, because since some of the artificial intelligence tools and models have come out, especially since ChatGPT was released, because let's be honest, ChatGPT was the first friendly human-like face on artificial intelligence that showed many of us how capable AI can be. And since then, there's been some resistance to it. And there's been some fears and some misunderstandings and all of that, which is totally okay. But then we're also trying to understand what is our future going to look like with artificial intelligence in it? 
what kind of jobs will there still be? What will our daily lives look like? What will it mean to be human? And I think a lot of the reactions by educators, but really by everybody, has been based on looking at artificial intelligence through what I call today glasses. And today glasses are based on the certainty of today with all of our lived experiences and all of our personal preferences and it's like uh, instruction manuals and rules to follow and things that, that we know work in education. It's like saying, I've taught it this way for four years with kids and I know that it's going to work. And it, that, that all works just fine as long as things don't change. And we've used our today glasses to look at education for the longest time. But see, there's a problem with looking at education through glasses. The problem is that our students' future in higher education and K-12 or whatever, their future is not based on today. Today was my future and today was your future. Years and years ago, this was the future. But with all of these students that we're working with, Today is not their future. Tomorrow is their future. And so if we want to prepare them for tomorrow, which will certainly include artificial intelligence in it in some way, shape, or form in just about any kind of career and in many of our personal lives, um, if we want to prepare them for that, we need to look at education through tomorrow glasses instead. Because tomorrow glasses are based on predictions, on prognostications, on trying to look at the direction that trends are going and trying to figure out what that future of two years, five years, 10 years, 20 years in the future, what that's going to look like. And see, one of the reasons that looking through tomorrow glasses is so hard is that we really have no idea what that's going to look like. We can make our best guesses. And so the reason I think that we don't do it so much is because as educators, we hate to be wrong. We don't like to make our best guesses because if things don't work out the way that we hope, then it's on us. And we've been looked at as the authority and the ones with all of the answers since the dawn of education. We don't like to be wrong, but Really, our best hope for preparing students for tomorrow by looking through our tomorrow glasses is by taking some imperfect steps, coming up with some imperfect answers to that question of what is the future going to look like, and then just course correcting and adjusting as we go. But if all we do is just continue to look at our classrooms and our lessons and the way that we teach through our today glasses, we're preparing students for their own past instead of the future. So I really think that our best hope for preparing students for a future that will include AI in it is to look through our tomorrow glasses and take some imperfect steps and try to come up with some imperfect answers. Are you finding any differences between P-12 teachers and people in higher ed in terms of how they're responding to the current and future AI use? In some ways, no, because really all we're all trying to do from the kindergarten classroom to middle schools, to high schools, to higher education, all we're really trying to do is just prepare students for education on the other side of that, or sorry, prepare students for the real world on the other side of, of education. And in some ways, the fears are similar 
in reality, we're all humans and we're all people outside of our work. And so some of those fears all sound the same, no matter what line of work that you're in. But I have noticed that in general, and forgive me if this is a little bit of a generality, and if you want to push back on this is okay. I found that in general, higher education tends to be a little bit more traditional and a little bit more set in their ways and being flexible out of those traditional patterns is a little bit tougher, I think. And so I've seen in that way, a little bit more resistance maybe in the higher education spectrum. But then the other way that I've seen it as being different is that when we're looking through our tomorrow glasses, we don't have to look as far into the future with higher education. If we're looking into the future being you know, that student's entire professional career, then yeah, you still have to look pretty far forward. But it's very different when a second grade teacher uses their tomorrow glasses to look at what the future will look like versus someone who's working with a, a student who's working on the master's level or even working towards their bachelor's degree, like they, they may be out in that workforce in just a few years. And, and that way it's a little bit different. But I think really, by and large, some of the some of the discussions that we've had around AI in K-12 through higher ed have been pretty similar. What does academic integrity look like? Uh, what is the role that AI should play in classwork? How do we prepare students for a future where AI is a part of it? A lot of those conversations are the same. There's just some nuance, I think, between the, the different levels. Interesting. I couldn't agree more. One of the things I, I have to admit to you is that on the Marion campus at IWU, we recently had a faculty training on AI and uh, your book was mentioned. In fact, many of them have copies of the book and knowing that they've seen the references to Tomorrow's Glasses, we did purchase a pair of inexpensive Amazon colored rimmed glasses for everybody. <laughs> we had them nice. on the table. So that when we processed our concerns and opportunities that we see today with today's glasses, we talked through that. And then we made a shift halfway through that workshop where they put on their glasses as a representation or as a symbol to a metaphor for tomorrow's glasses. And then we continued the conversation looking into the future. So really appreciate that way of looking at it that you offer everybody. Yeah, that's so cool. I've got a set of these classic sort of colored, what I call yep. tomorrow glasses also that I use as a prop oh. on stage when I do keynote speeches for educators. And that's pretty cool to, to hear that being taken out to where you all are. Yeah, I, I will say I didn't know that. So I didn't mean to copy quite that much, but definitely oh, no, you provided some great. inspiration. <laughs> Matt, what are some ways that we can use generative AI in our teaching today? Yeah, so that's the big question right now, isn't it? Actually, it's one of two big questions. One of them is teachers are saying, how much should students be allowed to use it? How much should it play in a classroom? But I think the other big question is, how can we use it in teaching and learning today? And I think there's lots of potential answers to that. And again, a lot of nuance if you want to get it just right for your own personal situation. So I've seen it in a variety of different ways. Some people will use some of the large language models like ChatGPT to be an extra voice in class where they'll take, say, for instance, chat GPT and put it up on the projector screen where everybody can see it. And then if you're having a discussion, it can be an extra place to go. So you just have the teacher or the instructor type a prompt in that the students have given them or that's come up in, in conversation and just see what it says. 
Another way I've seen it used is to create lots of examples. ChatGPT and a lot of these other large language models are really good at summarizing things and explaining things and also explaining them on different levels. For instance, you can level up or down on the lexile, the reading level, and the complexity of the words that are being used or the concepts being explained and everything. So I've seen it used that way. And then what you can also do sometimes is interrogate the results of the AI, almost like grade the AI, where I've seen that students have been given the same rubric that they would be given for work and then being able to go take the AI generated text and say, okay, if you were grading this, what do you think about it? What would you change to it? What would you add to it? And see, one of the things I love about that is that it gets away from the product in that case, the essay or the paper or whatever, it gets away from the product as the end all be all. And it gets us back to the process of thinking through it and the, the process of creation and everything. So I really like that. I'm actually working on a blog post right now for the Ditch That Textbook blog about these AI image generators. I know I mentioned those earlier in the show. It's probably because that's what all I've been thinking about this morning. But Image generators are another neat way that AI can be incorporated into the teaching and learning process because you know, if you need an illustration of what something looked like, an event in history, or if you are you know, reading a, a novel or a short story or a poem or something and want an illustration of what the setting looks like, you, know, you can always do that. You can even use it sometimes for what-if prompts where... If you were studying that a certain thing happened, what would have happened if something small was different and then the course of history rolled out with that one thing being different? An example that I use in some of my presentations is I'll have an AI image generator create an image of the White House, but it doesn't have the U.S. flag flying on top of it. It has the Union Jack is saying, what would have happened if the Revolutionary War hadn't gone so well for us here in the United States? What would that have looked like? It's a little bit of a, a forced comparison. It's not to say that the White House would have been built the same way, but it's an easy way to have that prompt that provokes the student thinking and maybe rubs up against them the wrong way a little bit. That's just scratching the surface. And then there's tons of different ways that it can be used in the spectrum from AI does a lot of things all the way down to humans do almost everything and all different variations in between. In fact, I've got lots of examples of what that sort of looks like, especially when, when we're comparing it to essays, like how much do you want students to use AI? How much should it impact an essay and in what ways and everything? We can dive in detail into that if you want to, but th those are some of the things off the top of my head, I think. We're so thankful to have Matt Miller on the show, but we do have to pause here. We'll be back next week, part two with Matt Miller on the Digital to Learn podcast. We'll see you then. Thank you for joining us on Digital to Learn. If you enjoyed this podcast, there are three things we ask you to do. One, come back and join us again. Two, tell your friends about us. And three, give us a positive ranking on your favorite podcast platform. Digital to Learn is brought to you by the Center for Learning and Innovation at Indiana Wesleyan University. Embrace the future. Always keep learning.